0: We'll talk with founders, entrepreneurs, CEOs, and really some of the most interesting people of our time. Can't wait to get started. Let's go. Let's go. Hi, everyone. It's Kara Golden from The Kara Golden Show, and I'm so excited to have my next guest here another beverage entrepreneur, a female beverage entrepreneur, no less. And her name is Katie Beal Brown, and she is the founder and CEO of Lone River Beverage Company. And you may know it as another couple of names. We'll get to that in just a minute. But Katie Beal Brown, as I said, is the founder and CEO of Lone River Beverage Company, known for two unique drink propositions, a tequila-inspired cocktails and their hard seltzer ranch water. And both are quite excellent. And Katie's Story, in particular, is quite awesome as well and very, very inspiring. She is a fourth-generation Texan and decided to package up her own ranch water cocktail that she had been making for years. And the company was acquired, get this, by Diageo after approximately two years, if I do the, the years right. Is that correct?
1: It was actually only 11 months from our first case sold
0: what? This is insane. It absolutely. So for anybody who had a business plan out there that I often laugh about, uh, mm-hmm. where they're going to flip the company in like 12 months, uh, Katie is the rare person that actually pulled it off. So we'll get into a lot more of that. Uh, but the... Both of their drinks are leaders in the categories nationwide, and I'm super excited to hear all about Katie's journey running this company, which she is still running inside of Diageo. So really excited to have you here, Katie.
1: Thank you so much for having me. And what a treat for me to get to meet you, another founder in the beverage industry,
0: Oh, that's that's so nice to hear. And I heard this morning that you're a huge fan of Hint, which uh, you know I I love love hearing that all day long, as I'm sure you can uh, relate to when people walk up to you and say, "Oh my gosh, I love those drinks!" So it's uh, oh,
1: absolutely we always have it in our fridge here.
0: Oh, that's so so great. So before we get into hearing about Lone River, which is the halo um, to. to the the other uh, brands that fall underneath that. I'd love to hear more about you and what like how did you decide to start a beverage company? You had never had a beverage company before, so can you tell us a little bit about that?
1: Yeah, I mean, I had never worked in the alcohol business, um, never had my own business. I grew up in West Texas, um, and my family actually settled out there. I think over a hundred years ago, and They operate a generational family business in the area. And I had, you know, by way of that, I think people would assume that I hadn't really been exposed to kind of an entrepreneurial mindset or environment. But my dad was always um, kind of this really entrepreneurial type of person. So while he was, you know, maintaining the legacy of our family business, he also always had these really big goals and hobbies and, um, you know, was kind of trying to achieve a million different things at once. And I found that to be really attractive and aspirational as I was a child. So I felt like somewhere down the line, I would start something of my own. I just didn't quite know what it was yet. Um, And so I had the opportunity after college and after I got married to move to New York City with my husband, which was a really big transition for me coming from a small town in West Texas. Um, And having been in New York City, I found that it was you know kind of difficult for me to connect with people about where I came from because not a lot of people had a frame of reference for that town or where it was or what it meant. Um, And so I started to use this cocktail called Ranch Water, which in West Texas, it's a bar call that we make with tequila, soda, lime, very simple cocktail. But I started to use that as almost like this party trick to tell people a little bit more about where I come from um, and the legend behind it, which ranch water was actually originally concocted in far West Texas, the same spot as my family's ranch um, in the 1960s. And, you know, as the legend goes, it was concocted by a wild haired rancher. And after drinking it, he followed miles of Texas stars until he fell asleep under a pignon tree. So I always really connected with that story and Um, You know, kind of used it as a way to share more about the culture of Far West Texas. And I would say that's really what started the journey for me was just wanting to package this thing that um, I had really grown up around and that kind of meant more to West Texans than just a drink. Um, It really became part of the culture out there.
0: backslash Kara Golden to subscribe for just 50 cents per week for your first year. So did you feel like your family had always been making this drink? I mean, were you like, I mean, you were making it obviously Mm -hmm. once you were... 21 and living in, in New York, but had you just been around it a, a lot, or I mean, it's one thing to enjoy a drink; it's another thing, as I know, to actually like start playing around with it in your kitchen and start dreaming. Okay, maybe I'm going to go and launch this and sell it to Diageo in 11 months. I don't know. Like what? What was sort of the, the kind of how you how were you thinking about this?
1: Yeah, I mean, it is something that. I guess I just feel like I kind of always knew about. And like I said, in West Texas, it's really, it's part of the culture. People are very proud that Ranch Water is from there and that it was, you know, originated from far West Texas. Um, And I think it is, it kind of represents the spirit of West Texas. Like it's this no fuss, get the job done kind of drink. Um, But, you know, living in New York, I found that when I introduced our friends to it, they always were really excited um, to introduce other people to it. I think it's just the the name Ranch Water, it has this kind of mystery and appeal to it where people want to know more and they want to be in the know of what it is. Um, So, you know, as I started to see more and more people kind of claiming it as their drink, I felt like there might be something to this. And at the same time, we started to see the rise of hard seltzer. Um, So that's when we started to see brands like Spiked Seltzer, White Claw Truly come into the market. And as we were looking at that category, we really felt like there wasn't something for us in the category. There wasn't a drink that we felt like, you know, was something that we would want to grab, but we really liked the idea of the category it being something lighter, lower alcohol, all of those things. So that is actually kind of inherently what a ranch water is. It's very simple ingredients, a very light drink. um, And it felt like there was an opportunity to really create some differentiation in the hard seltzer category where a lot of these brands were kind of fruity flavors, skinny cans, vodka-inspired profiles, and bringing something different that was more akin to a beer, but with a tequila-inspired flavor profile. Um, and that hadn't really existed before then. Um, so that was really you know, the thought of, I think we have something that feels very different for the category, but also you know, there's a way we can tell a story behind it and we can do it in a really authentic way because it's where we come from.
0: So today you have two unique brands living under the Lone River brand. Can you talk a little bit about that? Like what came first and and what was sort of the journey of those brands as well?
1: Yeah. So Ranch Water was um, our first product and we came out with just an original um, style of Ranch Water and then we rolled it out in several other flavors like spicy, grapefruit, prickly pear. Um, and then let's see, a year and a half ago, we actually introduced another product called Ranch Rita. So again, um, you know, margaritas are something that are very much a part of Texas culture, Texas cuisine. And um, it's said that the margarita was also invented in far West Texas and El Paso. Um, And so it has kind of that, um, it's embedded in the culture out here. And we felt like, you know, what better drink to bring to the market than a Ranch Rita? And it's really our kind of West Texas version of a margarita. Yeah, And, you know, when you think about the occasions of drinking the cocktails in Texas, there's occasions where you're drinking ranch waters and you want something light and easy to drink. And then occasions where you're drinking, you know, a margarita and you want something that is a little bit more flavorful and, um, you know, maybe going along with like a Tex-Mex cuisine and all of that
0: and today like is it difficult to kind of run two different brands and and two different strategies because they are very very different right
1: i think the challenge for us has more been so lone river you know was an entirely new brand to the alcohol business and there's a lot of you know brands that are decades old in the business that have a lot of brand equity around their kind of core brand mark so um I think, quite frankly, a lot of people were surprised at how much traction we got early on with Lone River and Ranch Water and being able to extend that into an innovation like Ranch Rita um, without that kind of long-standing equity that a lot of the other, you know, big beverage brands had coming into it. Um, And I... I said in the early days, it's kind of like a story of David and Goliath. I mean, we really have been kind of the underdog that nobody expected to come out and win and lead a category um, and really pioneer that category into the next phase.
0: Did you know people in the industry uh, who could help you figure out where to get it uh, bottled or canned? I guess, is, uh, it, I mean, what, it, you know, you were just starting from, I mean, square one on so many respects. Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah I mean, it was, um, we really, st- it's very overwhelming, I think, when you're starting any business because there's so many things you need to do and you're not quite sure even where to start or who to talk to. Um, and one of the things that we did early on is we just talked to as many people in the industry as we possibly could to get as much feedback, as much insight. And each person, Kind of led us to the next step or connection that then helped us find you know our formulation partner to get our shelf stable formula built that helped us find our co-packers that helped us produce the product um that led us to our distributors so you know i would say like even the conversations that maybe at the time felt like okay i'm not quite sure like this is leading us in the right direction each of them ended up being um, a stepping stone to really get this thing out there in the market and off the ground and I think the final thing I'll say is just there have been so many incredible people in this industry that really even took me under their wing and kind of mentored me through this because a lot of the distributors' businesses they are also generational family businesses and these guys have worked in the industry for thirty plus years, um, so you know just to have them really advising us along the way was such an amazing opportunity and some of them. You know, I still call with questions and for advice and all of that.
0: And you and I were talking even before I hit record. So the alcohol industry is a little bit different because you have to deal with distributors. You can't go direct to stores. You need to actually sell to the distributors. Can you explain a little bit about that for people who aren't familiar with that?
1: Yeah, of course. So um, post-prohibition in the U.S., the alcohol industry moved into what we call a three-tier system. So we make the beverage that then we sell to a distributor and the distributor sells it to a retailer. Um, And it's just a protection that was put in place to really manage the industry. Um, And so the distributors are really technically our customer. um, And they are a very important part of our business. But also, um, I would say, in some ways, they're the closest people to our consumer and our retailers because they're in the stores across the U.S. every single day. They're getting insights at the ground level, um, you know, that become really important for us to kind of feed back into the business.
0: So are there any runaway top flavors that you're super <laughs> focused on uh, just because the consumer has has spoken and you maybe some of them surprised you that they ended up to be some of the better flavors?
1: Yeah. I mean, we introduced um, the prickly pear of ranch water in our variety pack. And at the time, a lot of people were saying, I don't know if other people will even know what prickly pear is. We actually had somebody think that it was a pear flavor, um, but it's a cactus fruit. And um, that has ended up being far and away the most popular flavor. We have consumers asking about it every single day. Um, So I think that has been the biggest surprise. But for me personally, I've always really loved our spicy ranch water and spicy ranch Rita. It is just very different and a little bit more complex than what you would find in normal beverages in these categories. Um, And so I do think that's unique to us.
0: How do you stand apart from all of the the drinks that are out there. I mean, you mentioned some of the other drinks that were mm-hmm. in, not really direct competitors, but I always tell people they're all competing for shelf space and kind of um, the consumer, right? Who is thinking, oh, I'm going to have a cocktail. And how do you get them to understand that you're out there? Obviously, you're bootstrapping this initially, right? In your kind of getting it out yeah. there. And, and, uh, you obviously got Diageo's attention pretty quickly and some others as well. But how did you think about marketing? I know you have an incredible mm-hmm. social media presence. You also uh, fairly recently ended up getting a uh, a, a celebrity on from Yellowstone <laughs> to be involved in the brand too. But back in the very early days when you were trying to build awareness, mm-hmm. what did you do?
1: So from the very beginning I always said I really want to go at this in the way of building a brand not just putting a product on the shelf. Um and so we've worked very hard from the beginning to connect our brand and our product to a lifestyle. And you know the far west Texas is in a lot of ways emblematic of the American West and it's just so happened that the past couple of years um you know the aesthetic and mentality and Kind of sense of the American West has been very aspirational for people. And it started to infiltrate a lot of different parts of culture um, to the point where, you know, in the beginning, people were saying, why will this work? Why will people outside of Texas care? And, you know, I always go back to the number one car in America is the Ford F 150. The number one TV show is Yellowstone. You know, country music is the fastest growing genre. Those things to me, you know, point in the direction of this lifestyle is probably more relevant than it's ever been. Um, And we have a real right to kind of own that space um, with our brand because of how I grew up and, you know, the cowboy culture that's really embedded in Far West Texas. Um, But I think getting back to like, how did we really get the brand out there in the early days um, when we were bootstrapping it? you know, a lot of it really was focused around social media and growing a community and connecting with consumers. And I think one thing that will always differentiate us from some of these other big brands is that we really know our consumers on a personal level. And we look at them as people, not just demographics, to the point where, you know, some of our early consumers, I now know their families, you know, I've been to their homes, things like that, where our consumers are our biggest point of pride in this company. And I think sometimes as companies scale, you kind of forget that.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So the challenges that you face as an entrepreneur, uh, they don't always get publicized, right? Mm-hmm. In the early days, we definitely had many, many stories. I wrote about them in my book a couple of years ago that came out. But I mean, it's, it's uh, you know... Definitely, it's not an easy road. There's ups and there's downs and there's, mm-hmm. uh oh my God, this is, we're not going to make it. And, you know, there's, <laughs> oh, it, like, I mean, 20 hour days and, and uh Red eyes and all of those things that you just can't even imagine unless uh, you've been an entrepreneur. But I'd love to hear if there's a story when you were launching when you just thought, "Oh my God, how is this gonna? How? Why is this happening to me?"
1: Um, you know, I think it, like it's so true. I think any entrepreneur can really relate to the roller coaster. You know, even in the same day, you could have the highest high and the lowest low. Um. And for us, you know, we launched April 2020. So as the global pandemic was unfolding, I came from really more of a marketing advertising background and had no significant experience managing a supply chain and then was put in a position where I was managing a supply chain during one of the most disrupted periods, probably in the last couple of decades. Um, and so, you know, we had a global aluminum shortage every, Thing you can name went wrong in our supply chain. And we really just had to get creative to get ingredients, to get our cans, to get the product to the shelf, because we knew how important it would be for us to leverage kind of this um, tailwind to help scale our business. So I think that is certainly, and now, you know, sometimes I look at some of the challenges in front of us, I'm like, I don't know if anything could ever be as challenging as it was when we launched this business during the pandemic.
0: Yeah, no, I mean definitely it's uh it depends. I mean, I I used to say the 2008-2009 financial crisis like right. there's you know, but uh COVID definitely was uh was absolutely nutty um for for many many reasons. So, but I always uh tell people it's like you just got a badge, right? From getting through yeah. um that time and you learned a lot and you know, mm-hmm. sometimes I found that all the things that you thought you knew you had to throw them away um, and try mm-hmm. and figure out like how do i um, how do I actually get this to the shelf when uh, many uh, systems were overloaded that 's what was happening in our industry in the non alcoholic water industry we could, we didn 't even know what was in a lot of the systems at mm-hmm. target and you know some of the totally. back rooms, right it was it was absolutely insane. So what was your first pinch beam moment with any of your products? Um, obviously you got acquired by Diageo. Was there anything, I mean, that's a pretty big one, but I mean, it was there any other times when you just thought, Oh my gosh, it's really happening.
1: Um, I think for me, I mean, obviously the acquisition was, you know, such an incredible moment, and what an amazing partner for us to scale the business and really realize our vision for the brand. But I would say, I think the most memorable for me was um, I went to Dallas to pitch our first distributor to bring our brand on. And this was the first distributor I had ever met in my life. Um, we walked in, so this was the fall of 2019. We walked in with our head of sales, and I remember walking in the lobby and he said, Don't get on your phone sit here and pay attention until they come down. Like, we don't want them to think that this isn't the most important thing that we're doing. And um, walked into the meeting, went through our pitch and basically on the spot, they said, we want to bring it on um, and we really want to grow this business with you. And I just remember walking out of that meeting and thinking, okay, this is this feels like a real business now. Like we have a distributor, it's going to market. Um, and that's when, you know, I think a lot of the steps after that became really, really important for us to kind of map out that launch and everything. Um, but yeah, I will never, never forget that meeting.
0: Yeah, no, it's it, your first store, your first distributor. I mean, it's, it's uh, very, very exciting. And obviously, consumers reaching out to you and highlighting for them what the brand means to them and the nostalgia, I'm sure, has, yeah. has definitely been something that has been really incredible for you to feel.
1: Yeah, I think another one even um right after we went to market and our product was, you know, going into the first stores. I called one of the first stores that it went into and you know, just asked, "Do you have Lone River Ranch water in?" um and has anybody come in to buy it yet?" and they said it's already sold out. And that for me was like a okay, we have really got to get going on this supply chain and get more product out there, but it was definitely a very cool memorable moment.
0: So You are still the CEO of the relationship, right, inside Mm -hmm. of Diageo. How has your business, your day-to-day changed more than anything?
1: I think, you know, in a lot of ways, this is probably every entrepreneur's dream is to find a partner that really believes in the vision of the brand and is able to um, resource growth in a different way than we maybe would have been able to on our own. Um... And so that, you know, I, I remember coming through the acquisition, some of the early meetings, we were just having these conversations about, you know, what is our biggest dream for this brand and how do we want to realize that? Um, and that is just, you know, such a cool, a cool thing to go through because, you know, when you're first launching something, you don't know if a moment like that will ever be possible.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, absolutely. Do I know that Diageo has acquired a number of other brands as well? Do you get together with those other entrepreneurs? Is there like you know group meetings inside all the people who were acquired, and you know you guys all have a little entrepreneur party of any (laughs) sort?
1: I don't know. Um, We have definitely. I've gotten to meet so many amazing entrepreneurs um, within Diageo, but I would say even beyond that you know there are some incredible entrepreneurs in the beer business and alcohol business and i've been doing some work with the alliance for women in beer and that has really connected me to you know some incredible entrepreneurs that you know i try to provide some advice to but also on the other side i've gotten a lot of insight from as well just because you know we're at very different stages and phases of our our businesses so um, the community that it's connected me to has been amazing.
0: That's, that's so great. I know we've had a few of those entrepreneurs 21 seeds. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Yeah she's, yeah. she's terrific. So that's really great. So what do you think is like the key thing that these large companies are really looking for today? I mean, certainly, when you're looking at selling companies today, we've, talked to a number of people, um, in the financial world where, you know, profitability Mm -hmm. is definitely super important, but what would you say is kind of, you know, the, the key thing, do they, do they strategists like these newer brands? I mean, yours was sort of an anomaly for 11 months. I mean, for, for sure, but would you say that there, um, I mean, and you weren't that big of a company either. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, that you sort of went against what the conventional wisdom was on that. But if somebody's listening, what, what sort of things would you say?
1: I think, um, and I'm certainly not an MA expert. Um, but I do think, you know, if I had to say, I think most companies are looking for, you know, a differentiated proposition for their own portfolio that they feel like, you know, they really need to go out and buy versus create. Mm -hmm. Um, And then I think the second thing is something that, you know, has a promise of sustained growth and sustained uh, share growth. So I think that's really, you know, there have been a lot of, um, I would say, like, cautionary tales of brands and innovation that has come in and been, you know, very hot and popular in the first year and then really trailed off. Um, So I think that the sustained growth is a really important piece.
0: Yeah, I totally agree. So, characteristics of an entrepreneur that you see as uh, as really key. I mean, obviously, uh, this is sort of describing you, but it but many entrepreneurs are resilient and mm-hmm. uh, creative. Um, but is there anything else that you would add to that, like? You cannot be an entrepreneur, a successful entrepreneur, if you aren't used to um, being this. Or, what would you add to yeah, that?
1: I think the biggest thing that I've learned is how important it is to operate with a growth mindset. And what I mean by that is you are not focused on a particular outcome, good or bad. You're focused on, you know, the challenge and the growth that can come from that for you personally, for your business. Um, because I think when you get too anchored to an outcome, I, it, it kind of prevents the flexibility and agility and, you know, resilience and all of that, that it takes to really achieve, um, achieve what you want to for the business, because the outcome may look very different from what you originally set out to do, but it may be even better than that. Um, and you wouldn't get there if you weren't looking at it, um, with that mindset,
0: I love that. So last question, best advice that you've ever received? You're starting a new company and you're coming from a different industry. Uh, and you met a ton of people who, as you mentioned earlier, were just really supportive and helpful. You, I'm sure you heard some uh, you're never going to be able to pull this off, or <laughs> uh, you know, doubters I call them out there. But you remained undaunted, and you went ahead and did it, and got to a successful sale. But what is the best advice that you ever received? That kind of, you know, maybe you even think back on on this advice to sort of help you um, as you continue on your journey.
1: When we were doing our first uh, fundraising round. I sat with one of our investors at Starbucks and um, he's just this incredible businessman. And he essentially, and this is not um, unique advice from him, but something that has always really stuck with me um, is kind of this sense that change is going to be constant and your ability to adapt to that change is really going to define your success. Um, And I think that just to me kind of sums up an entrepreneur's journey and the successful entrepreneurs are the ones um, that can really you know, navigate through those changes and not get stuck on, you know, the past or even what they believe the future was going to look like.
0: Totally agree. So, well, thank you so much, Katie. Really, really appreciate you coming on and sharing all of your wisdom and everyone needs to Uh, go out and definitely try ranch water and all of the rest that Lone River is doing because I know you're coming up with some great other innovative flavors as well. So Mm -hmm. everybody needs to definitely try them. And I will agree that the prickly pear is um, really, (laughs) really, really yummy. So thank you again. And thanks everyone for listening and goodbye for now. Thank you. Thanks again for listening to The Kara Golden Show. If you would, please give us a review and feel free to share this podcast with others who would benefit. And of course, feel free to subscribe so you don't miss a single episode of our podcast. Just a reminder that I can be found on all platforms at Kara Golden. And if you want to hear more about my journey, I hope you will have a listen or pick up a copy of my book, Undaunted, which I share my journey including founding and building Hint. We are here every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. And thanks everyone for listening. Have a great rest of the week and 2023 and goodbye for now. Before we sign off, I want to talk to you about fear. People like to talk about fearless leaders, but achieving big goals isn't about fearlessness.